Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light of the darkness can overcome. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening. And the day is almost over. Let your light scatter the darkness. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Turn us again, O God of our salvation. May your justice shine like the sun. And may the poor be lifted up. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. We give you thanks, O God, for in the beginning you called light into being, and you set lights in the sky to govern night and day. In a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night, you led your people into freedom. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. For you are merciful, and you love your whole creation. And with all your creatures we give you glory, through your Son, Jesus Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Continue with Psalm 51. We'll read it responsively by whole verse. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and your great compassion, blot out my offenses. For I know my offenses and my sin is ever before me. Indeed, I was born steeped in wickedness, a sinner from my mother's womb. 
Remove my sins with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be purer than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, that the body you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my wickedness. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your Let me teach your ways to offenders, and sinners shall be restored to you. Rescue me from bloodshed, O God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. For you take no delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a troubled spirit. A troubled and broken heart, O God, you will not despise. Then you will delight in the appointed sacrifices and burnt and whole offerings. The young bulls shall be offered upon your altar.
And now reading from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 23 and starting in verse 26. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of the people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. And when they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also were criminals, were, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do, not fear, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land, until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, at a distance, watching these things. Well, it, I think it's probably obvious to all of us that forgiveness right, is very central to the Christian life. And often I think of forgiveness sometimes vertically and then sometimes horizontally, right, that there's kind of this vertical forgiveness of God forgives us of our sins, and then that turns into a horizontal forgiveness in which we learn to forgive one another of the wrongs that we do to one another. But forgiveness as a concept, really, throughout the Bible we see it first as a vertical idea of God forgiving us, and then we carry out that forgiveness horizontally with one another into the world. But as we read Psalm 51, and you know, so many places in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, we could 
make this point, but the reality is sin is a constant problem in our lives. Right? Sin is a constant problem. Think about how we even begin our worship on Sunday mornings. Right? Every Sunday morning begins with the same, the same phrase. Right? Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and so on. Right? Every Sunday morning, we begin with a confession of sin. Right? Because the liturgy assumes that we are all sinners. Right? It's, it is presumptuous, right? Well, yeah, but if you walk in this door, you're a sinner. If you've walked in this door, you've committed a sin in the past week. There's some sin that you're carrying around, some sin that burdens you, some sin. Because every one of us, as, as we say in the confession, we're captive to sin. We're bound by it, and we cannot free ourselves. We are habitual sinners. Uh, but in fact, you know, scripture says this, right, in 1 John, and sometimes I read this in connection to that confession, but in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Right, and you can pay attention there to the verbs in verses 8 and 10. Right, so verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Right, we can't deny that we have sinned. Right, but John doesn't just leave it in the past. Right, he says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're past sinners, right? And we're present sinners and we're future sinners as well. Uh, the Augsburg Confession, uh, which is really kind of the central document of what it defines to be a Lutheran, states it like this. It says, we teach that since the fall of Adam, all human beings who are born in a natural way are conceived and born and sin. And the Augsburg Confession calls the evil in our hearts that we are born with an innate disease, a hereditary condition. Right? All of us are born sinners. Right? We've inherited from generation to generation from Adam. We've inherited hearts that are not turned to God, but rather are turned in on ourselves. And it's sin, and this is an important point, because sin, sometimes we talk about sin and we think about the big immoral actions that are obvious when we hear the word sin, right? And yeah, sometimes indeed we do not commit those big immoral actions, right? Maybe we don't steal from people. Maybe we're not unfaithful to our spouse. Maybe we're not killing people actively. You know, maybe we're not covetous, and so on. Uh, you know, and yeah, we don't do those big immoral things. But sin, that's only a piece of what sin is and what we say sin is. Right? Sin itself is not loving God with our whole hearts. Right? So whenever we act in a way that puts ourselves uh, or something else, right, above God, 
then we're sinning. Right? When we put ourselves as the highest, most important good in the world, right, we're sinning. When we put someone else, something else, whether that's someone in our family, whether that's a concept, you know, whether that's money or country or race or whatever it is that we're tempted with, when we make that our highest good, we're sinning. Right? And so I want to see sin first and foremost as a relationship problem, right? Because it speaks to our disordered relationship with God. Our heart is not aligned to God, right? And that's ultimately what sin is. Because God himself is the source of all life, all goodness, all truth. And if our hearts are aligned to something else, then we're cutting off ourselves from the life. We're cutting ourselves off from truth. We're cutting ourselves off from all goodness. Right? And this is why St. Paul can say the consequences of sin, the wages of sin, are death. Right? Because when we turn our hearts and put our hearts into something else, we're cutting ourselves off from the very source of life. Right? And so, sin, again, it's not just the big immoral things that we might think of that are obvious. Right? Sin infects all of our hearts. St. Augustine and, and later the reformer John Calvin would say, our hearts are factories of idols. Right? There's, there's not a day, there's not a week that goes by that our hearts are not tempted to make something else the highest good rather than God. Right? For many of us, you know, that's material things, that's money, that's security. Or, or whatever it is that we're tempted with. But our hearts are always looking right, to find something else other than God. We're always looking to put our hope in something else. Right, so the fifth petition then in the Lord's Prayer. Right, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's a daily reminder that we are entirely, entirely dependent on God's mercy. Right? Christ gives us this prayer to pray. He teaches us how to pray this. Right? And daily he's telling us, pray for forgiveness. Pray for the forgiveness of our trespasses. Right? Because daily, sin is a problem for us. And so I'll get a little more nuanced theologically then. Sin is a problem for us because we're always going to be tempted to sin. Our hearts are never going to be perfectly aligned with God in this lifetime. However, as Lutherans, we want to make it clear that through baptism and through trusting in God's word by faith, right, the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sins are in fact forgiven. Right? God is not holding our sins against us when we receive him in faith, whether he forgives us, right? And we say that he doesn't see our sinful hearts any longer. Rather, he sees Christ's righteousness. Christ who died for us took on the punishment and the consequences of our sin for us. However, we're still tempted to sin, right? And we still carry in us that original sin that we've inherited from Adam 
and from all the generations of sinners that came before us. And so in this lifetime, we're never completely free of, of that reality. And so often, uh, Luther and others talked about our dying and our death as the completion of our baptism, right? That what was started here at the font is completed when we die because then our hearts are completely aligned to God. And then we are completely free of sin. All right. But we do want to make a difference too. It sounds pessimistic to say, oh, we're always sinners. Uh, God does, does with his spirit change our hearts. Right? And day by day, we pray for the grace not to be sinners. We pray daily that our hearts would begin to align to God's will. Our hearts would put God the highest. And that does happen in this life, that day by day we slowly kind of grow in grace. Daily, we, the fancy word, we mortify the flesh, we kill the flesh, we kill the old Adam day by day, right? And so the Lutheran kind of imagery is at baptism, the old Adam is drowned, right? But the old Adam is a good swimmer, so he's always popping back up. So daily we're trying to push the old Adam down into the certainty of our baptisms, right? And so daily we repent, daily we receive the mercy of God, and daily we're completely dependent on him. And so the Lutheran question then that we should ask is, how can we know that our sins are forgiven? Right, we pray this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But how do we know? Right, and that's the story of Martin Luther. Right, that's kind of the myth of Martin Luther, the big story, is here you have this monk, this friar, who has a very sensitive conscience, and he's very aware of his sin, and he spends hours and hours in confession, and he's torn up with this idea of, well, how can I know that I'm forgiven? Can I do enough penance? Can I do enough good works that assure me that I'm forgiven? Right? Will the buying of indulgences from the church assure that I'm forgiven? I don't see that in Scripture. How do we get there? Right? And so very much the Lutheran church and, and Luther's Reformation was dealing with this question, how can we know that our sins are forgiven? Well, Luther's answer, of course, is that we know our sins are forgiven when we receive God's word that they are forgiven by faith. Right? So if God's word declares it, then it must be true. Because whatever God speaks comes into reality. When God says, let there be light, well, there's light. Right? But also, when God says, your sins are forgiven, well, your sins are forgiven. Right? God's word, God's promises cannot lie. They cannot be wrong. So whatever God speaks, it's true. Right? And so the first, kind of the first answer there, how can we know our sins are forgiven? Well, we put our trust into God's word who says that it's so. Right? And in putting our trust into God's word, then we have confidence that it's true, that we are forgiven. Uh, but Luther, and of course the scriptures acknowledge that 
Well, we're bad at that. Right? We're bad at putting our trust in God's word. It's not easy for us. You know, all of us are, are quite good at doubting. All of us are quite aware of just how sinful we are. All of us have these hearts that are factories of idols. And so it's tough for us just to say, yeah, God's word is true, I am forgiven. And so for Luther then, that's why we have the sacraments. That's why we have the means of grace. right? Because the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of Holy Communion, are God's physical word now coming to us. right? It's not just the declaration that we hear and believe, but God gives us the physical means to know that it's true. Right? He gives us something to hold on to. Right? And so he washes us in his word at baptism. And so we can always go back and remember, I'm baptized. God washed me clean. He washed me free of the consequences of my sin. Right? And so as Lutherans, we always say, remember your baptism. That's why we put the font right up here. That's why we started opening it, right? It's a remembrance that you are forgiven. For Lutherans, we say that the water in the font when you're baptized, the water is not special. It's not magic. It's not a magic formula, right? But it's the word of God, the promises of God that are attached to that water. So when God says you're baptized and you're forgiven, then we know it's true. And so we have this physical proof that it's true. And the same thing with, with Holy Communion, right? That Christ comes to us as an assurance that we're now reconciled with God, that we're forgiven, and it's this physical evidence of it, this physical proof of it. And so when we're struggling to believe it, right, that we're called to say, no, look, here's proof. In the bread and the wine, Christ is coming to you and he's telling you your sins are forgiven. Lutherans also sometimes talked about a third sacrament, the sacrament of absolution, right? That the minister's words to you in the service after you confess, when the minister says, I declare to you, your sins are forgiven, right? That that shouldn't be heard as just the pastor's words speaking to you. You should hear those words as coming from Christ, right? Because God himself is promising to you that if you repent of your sins, he will forgive you, right? And so all of those are ways in which we know that we're forgiven. And sin and forgiveness, then, we always want to think of in terms of relationship, right? It's not just about being a good and moral person, but sin and forgiveness are always about the relationship we have with God and with one another. Uh, sin is about you know, that separation that occurs when we turn our hearts from God, right? And we're looking for our hope somewhere else. Okay, so being forgiven of your sins, then it's a reminder, you know, that your sins are forgiven. It's also a reminder that God's not going to leave you. You are in relationship with him. And it, it works the same way as we talk about horizontal forgiveness of sin, as we learn to forgive one another. 
ultimately it's about relationship. Right? If our relationship is broken because I've hurt you or you've hurt me, forgiveness is about taking that first step to fixing it, right? to reconciling. And so ultimately, you know, I would encourage you not just to think about sin as a morality issue, as being a good person, but think about it primarily in terms of relationship with God and relationship with one another. So in the Lord's Prayer, you know, we forgive us, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, do we have to ask God for forgiveness every time we sin? Well, no. Maybe ideally we should. You know, but our, our forgiveness is not contingent on perpetually asking for it. Right? Ultimately, we're forgiven by our faith and our baptisms, right? We're forgiven when we trust God's going to forgive us. And so, yes, daily we sin, but if we don't one day or two days ask for forgiveness, is God going to condemn us? Well, no, right? Because our hope is in Christ. It's not in our always asking for forgiveness. And so then we see then that Christ has put this petition in the prayer, forgive us our trespasses, precisely as a reminder to us that we are dependent on God's mercy. Right? Daily we pray this as a reminder that we should always come back to God and say, God, I know you love me and I'm putting my trust in your mercy. And so the fifth petition is fundamentally about that. Right? Putting our faith God, putting our faith in his mercy. It's not so much about recounting all of our sins daily, although maybe that's a good practice, but it's about saying, God, I need you daily. I'm dependent on you. There's also some confusion, I think, when we hear this petition, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Some people read that conditionally, right? That forgive us our trespasses if we forgive those who trespass against us. So some people read it as if God's not going to forgive us if we don't first forgive others. I don't think that's so much as what's going on in this petition. Rather, I think this, we understand as we forgive those who trespass against us, we should understand that more as an illustration. What I mean is, we're asking God to forgive us, and then we say, as we forgive those who sin against us. Well, the thought here is this. If you and I can learn to forgive one another, right? if us, mortals, sinful mortals, can forgive one another, how much more can God forgive us? Right? How much more capable of mercy, of reconciliation is God than you and I? Right? And so here we just have this bare standard. God, forgive us as we're capable of forgiving. You know, we can forgive, you can forgive, but God forgives so much more. Right? And so this is supposed to be hopeful for us. Right? If you and I can forgive, then certainly God can forgive. 
and he can forgive us all the more. Right, and finally, as we read in Luke 23, right, we get to the cross and, and notice what Christ is doing on the cross, right? He's forgiving. Forgiving all of those who put him on the cross, even forgiving the thief next to him on the cross who's seeking, who's seeking him and seeking his mercy. Right? Christ wants to forgive. That's who God is. God is a forgiver. He wants to forgive us. He doesn't hold grudges. Right? God is not angry at us. He wants us to come to him and know that we're forgiven in him. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what we as a church gather about. That's what our service is about. Everything we do points to that truth, that God wants to forgive us. Right? He wants us to receive that good news. He wants us to receive that hope. And so here, as we get into Holy Week next week, that's what it's all about. It's all about the forgiveness of our sins. It's all about the new life that comes with that forgiveness and the new life that we have in Christ. So we continue on 3.14. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by the Son.
continue with the giving of an offering. I invite you to stand with me as we continue with the prayers on 316. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the health of the creation, for abundant harvest that all may share, and for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For public servants, the government, and those who protect us, for those who work to bring peace, justice, healing, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who travel, for those who are sick and suffering, and for those who are in captivity, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For deliverance in the time of affliction, wrath, danger, and need, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all servants of the church, for this assembly, and for all people who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Giving thanks for all who have gone before us and are at rest, rejoicing in the communion of all the saints, we commend ourselves, one another, and our whole life to you. Through Christ our Lord. To you, O Lord. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works. Give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness through Jesus Christ our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God forever. Amen. Amen.
Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Amen. And now the peace of Christ be with you always. I invite you to take a moment and greet one another, signs of Christ's peace. Depart in peace. Christ is with you. Thanks.